very much. Acts 13 is, um, is significant in many ways. At the beginning of Acts 13, as we saw uh, previously, um, we have Barnabas and Paul set apart by the church in Antioch and sent on a mission. Now, note this. If we had um, Barnabas and Paul as members of our church, um, I wonder how eager we would be to send them away. Uh, Barnabas and Paul. Imagine having the, the, the plans you can make. We could have Paul as the preacher. 40 years, imagine, of Paul preaching to us every Sunday. And Barnabas could be our pastoral worker. Barnabas the encourager. Wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't the church be built up and so strong? It'd be great, wouldn't it? Um, Antioch didn't do that uh, because it was a gospel church. Um, this is what Lizzie's dad once pointed out to me many years ago. Um, they sent their best in order to be a blessing to others. Um, we have our own Paul. Um, uh, and Antioch is a model of how we deal with gifted leaders among us. The pattern of the gospel is we send our best to bless others. That is why Mr. Dutton is leaving us. Um, I'll stop talking about him now. He's come back in. Um, Acts 13. Um, so it moves on. Uh, Paul and Barnabas sent out. Um, they go to Cyprus and then they move on and they arrive in the region of Galatia, which is where we are in our passage. They come to another Antioch, not the same one they're sent from. There are about 14 Antiochs in the ancient world um, and they went to this other Antioch. And, and Luke, as he writes the, the, this account, he, he uses this as an opportunity to help us understand a bit more of the kind of pattern of ministry and some of the things that Paul said when he spoke to the Jews. Now, the pattern of ministry is uh, they would go and they'd arrive in a place, they'd find the Jews, usually in the synagogue, uh, preach the good news about Jesus, and then when they got kicked out, they would go and take the message to those who weren't Jews. That's what we see here. At, in verse 14, they arrive in Pisidian Antioch. It's a leading city in the region, a Roman colony, an important place with a large Jewish community. So they arrive, they go to the synagogue, they sit down. And what happens is the same thing that happens every Saturday. Every service, uh, on, they have Bible readings, we're told, verse 13. That's what they would do. That would be their practice, Bible readings and a Bible talk. Um, now, it could have been that the reputation of these men had gone before them. Maybe they know Paul is a trained Pharisee. But they send this invitation after the Bible readings. And they say, brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. The Apostle Paul doesn't need a second invitation, does he? Um, so he stands up and he speaks. And, and, and what, he, what he gives as his message, the expectation of it is set out in the invitation. It's an invitation for a word of exhortation, a word of encouragement. Now, now we don't know what passages of the Bible were read. It's likely that Paul picks up on those as he speaks. But the aim is to bring encouragement. So as we work through it, we can ask ourselves, does it do it? As we, as we work through what is said, we can be asking, is this encouraging for me? Are we encouraged? Well, what is this word of encouragement? First of all, it is a word about what God has done. In verse 16, Paul addresses those who are gathered. He says, listen up. Verse 17, he introduces his subject. His subject is the God of the people of Israel. Uh, if we wanted to bring encouragement to someone... I think more often than not, if you want to encourage someone, our tendency is to draw attention to them. Now, if, if I were to say now, right, we're just going to pause, I want you to turn to the person next to them and say something encouraging to them, 
Um, I, I think we'd start to think, well, who is this person? What are they like? Uh, what do they mean to us? What do they do? That can be a really important way of bringing encouragement, can't it? Uh, but what Paul does here, he brings encouragement by bringing their attention to God. What has God done? That's his word of encouragement. Um, God is the subject of everything that happens as, as it follows. He says, God, this is what he's done, he chose our ancestors. God made the people prosper in Egypt. God led them out. God endured their conduct in the wilderness. God overthrew the nations in Canaan. God gave their land to his people as their inheritance. God gave them judges. God gave them Saul. God made David their king. Skims over a thousand years of history. Overview in the Bible books of Genesis, Exodus, Joshua, Judges, Samuel. And it's all about what God has done. And in that history, we know there are lots of ups and downs. There are lots of individual stories But over all of it, God is graciously directing as he gives and gives and gives. So Paul stands to bring encouragement and as he stands up, he stands back and he reminds them of the great purposes of God. What is God doing in redemption history? The first thing. The second thing. It's a word about what God has done to bring a saviour. Paul tracks the history very, very quickly to David. And then when he gets to David, he jumps from David to Christ. You notice that? He works through to David. David was the high point of Israel's history. Uh, after David, the kingdom was divided. The nation spirals out of control. It corrodes away into exile. But David, he was the man, the king after God's own heart. The, the king who got the promise that one of his descendants would sit on his throne forever. Amongst David's descendants would come great David's greater son. That was the promise. And so Paul gets to David, then he jumps forward, verse 23. From this man's descendants, from David's descendants, God has brought to Israel the saviour Jesus as he promised. So Paul stands up, he wants to bring encouragement. He tells people about what God has done and he brings the focus, what God has done in Jesus Christ. And we can learn from that, can't we? If we want to bring encouragement, if we need encouragement, Who doesn't need encouragement? You ever met anybody who's too encouraged? And we can ever over-encourage people? Can we ever be too encouraged? Of course not. We all need encouragement. Paul sets out how to encourage. We draw people's attention to Jesus. And what does Paul highlight about Jesus? Six things. This saviour is a biblical saviour. These headings are terrible, by the way, but we'll go with them. Um, The this sermon that Paul preaches is laden with references uh, to the Bible. Every verse is a, a quotation or an allusion to the Old Testament text. Now, Paul is, is seeped in the Bible. He bleeds Bible. But more importantly, he uses a whole range of scripture to show what Jesus is like. That's what he's doing. And we haven't got time to trace every connection, uh, but, but we can just feel a bit of the weight of the biblical testimony to our Lord. Now this saviour, he is the promised saviour, and the coming of our saviour is, is set out beforehand, it's explained in the pages of the Bible. So if we want to find encouragement, we've got to turn our attention to Jesus, and how do we learn about Jesus? We find him in the pages of the Bible, don't we? He is the biblical saviour. Next up, he is a worthy saviour. So as Paul begins to tell the history of Jesus, uh, he, he does what, what each of the four gospel writers do, do doesn't start with the incarnation. He starts with the preparatory ministry of the Baptist. John the Baptist, the voice in the wilderness, preparing the way. The Lord is coming. 
God is going to come and visit us. We've got to repent. That was John's message. Uh, And John was the greatest of all the prophets. And and as Paul speaks about this greatest of all the prophets, he, he focuses on just one particular aspect of John's ministry. The bit he highlights is verse 25. As John's completing his work, he draws people's attention not to himself, but he speaks about the one who is coming. There is one coming after me whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This saviour Jesus, whom God brings to Israel, he's not just another link in the prophetic chain. He is the chain. He is the goal and the fulfilment of everything. He is worthy of all praise and worship. Thirdly, he's the complete saviour. Verses 27 and 31, if you look at that, this is when... Paul tells about the history of the death and resurrection of Jesus. He was rejected by the rulers in Jerusalem. He was accused without cause. He was condemned to death, crucified, buried, raised, and many witnesses saw him living. But that's the the history, isn't it? Those are the facts of history. But again, Paul draws attention to how these facts fulfill the scriptures. Even the rulers, the rulers who read the prophets, by their actions fulfill the words of the prophets without realising it. And when they condemn Jesus, they are doing what the Bible said would happen. And and then verse 29, when Jesus was on the cross, Paul says they carried out all that was written about him. It's not just that a prediction happened, but but what the scripture had been promising was now fulfilled. And not until every part of the promised salvation is accomplished, not until all that was written about him had been done, did they take him down from the cross. So verse 32, Paul says, we tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. The saving work of Jesus is the yes to every promise in the Bible. He is a complete saviour. He's a reigning saviour. Verse 33 uh, refers to Psalm 2. Now, Psalm 2 speaks about the installation of God's Son in Zion, the intersection of heaven and earth. Now, Paul's saying that God, by raising Christ, is designating him as the king of all kings. He's identifying him as the man who ascends into heaven and receives all the power and all the authority. And Psalm 2 says that this king will crush the rebellious nations. This king will inherit all the nations And that all who take refuge in him will be safe forever. Jesus, the saviour, reigns in the highest place. And what that means for us is that our saviour reigns in the highest place. He has all power. He has all authority. There isn't a, a higher kind of throne than his throne. The salvation that he brings to us is, is salvation that comes from the, the, the highest place. He is the reigning saviour. He's the eternal saviour, verse 34. Uh, God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay. Okay? And, well, Paul goes on, he quotes from Isaiah 55. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. The you here is a a group word, it's a plural. Uh, I will give you as a group um, all the holy and sure blessings Promise to David, I'm going to give them to you, bestow them upon you as a group. And why will they be bestowed upon you? Verse 35. 
you will not let your Holy One see decay. Paul's using the word holy to connect the references. He's saying these holy and sure blessings can be offered to you as a group because they come in Jesus Christ. They come in the one who died. The one who died to take the curse from the curse of everything that separates us from the blessing and the one who was raised up to ensure the whole blessing is brought to us. And he cannot die again. He cannot decay. He lives forever. And because he lives forever, the salvation he secures is for always. He is the eternal saviour. And sickly, he is the forgiving saviour. Verses 38 and 39 are the kind of climax of the sermon, the high point he's, he's bringing to. You see when he starts verse 38, Therefore, my friends, I want you to know. He, he set all of this out and he's saying, Now, I want you to know this bit. That this is the thing I want you to know because of everything I've just said. I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And what kind of forgiveness is it? He says, through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin. Every sin. We sang this morning, didn't we? Our sins, they are many. And they are, they're they're more than we can count, more than we know. We know in part, but God knows them in full. He, He knows their number And he assesses with his perfect insight and knowledge. He knows our sin. He knows the number and the weight of our sin more than we do. But his promise is that through Jesus there is forgiveness of every sin. Set free from every sin. That is justified from every sin. Something not possible, as Paul says, under the law of Moses. The law of Moses that put that standard there but couldn't bring us up to it. Now we all fall short when we're measured by that law, we are condemned when we are measured by that law. But then Christ goes to the cross and he takes our condemnation on himself. And he bears the full and crushing weight of our sin. And the result of his death, his resurrection, of everything that he has done as he fulfilled all the promises, is that our sins are forgiven and they're forgiven in full and they're forgiven forever. And that's for all who believe. Take refuge in the Son, and the refuge you find is forgiveness that is full, and it's free, and it's forever. And this is our Saviour. This is our Saviour. Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came, ruined sinners to proclaim. Hallelujah. What a Saviour. Bearing shame and scoffing rude. In my place condemned he stood, sealed my pardon with his blood. Hallelujah. What a saviour. Guilty, vile and helpless we, spotless lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be? Hallelujah. What a saviour. Lifted up was he to die. It is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a saviour. When he comes our glorious king. All the ransomed home to bring. Then anew this song we'll sing. Hallelujah. What a saviour. 
It is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. What God promised our ancestors, he's fulfilled for us by raising up Jesus. The Saviour has come. And when Paul wants to bring encouragement, he talks about what God has done specifically. What God has done in Jesus Christ. And so we ask ourselves, is that encouraging? Uh, Because Paul ends his word of encouragement with a warning. If you notice that, his word of encouragement ends with a warning in verse 40. Take care, be warned that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would never believe, even if someone told you. A message of encouragement doesn't miss the need to respond and warn about the dangers of dismissing it. As some will hear the message, some will believe and be encouraged, but others will scoff. So what is our response to that? Luke tells us the response of the people who first heard this message, and as Paul brought this word of encouragement. And, and I guess showing these responses helps us to examine ourselves. Uh, there are some who missed the warning and scoffed, just like Paul said. Now, well, there was a great response to the message. Many, many turned to the Lord Jesus. He was the, 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 this was all the talk of the town. The, the, Sabbath, the next Sabbath, the synagogue was overflowing. But verse 45 says, When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying. Verse 50, The Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. They they missed the encouragement. And why did they miss it? Well, because they were self-interested silencers of God's word. They're self-interested, aren't they? Jealous about their own popularity. They wanted the praise of people. They were concerned for their own status and reputation. And so because of that self-interest, they silenced God's word. They ensured that Paul was expelled so they didn't have to hear the gospel. And and the contrast is with those who received the encouragement. Those who received it, they are God-praising, glad hearers of God's word. They're eager to hear more. They invite Paul and Barnabas back. They want to hear it more. They spread the message. And when they gather again, um, there are so many of them. And Paul, when he says he's going to the Gentiles, the Gentiles are are glad. And they honoured the word of the Lord. They praise God's word. Verse 52, the disciples are filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. They are God-praising, glad hearers of God's word. And we can ask ourselves then, as we look at these responses, which one challenges, encourages, helps us? There are times when we can be self-interested silences of God's word. Shutting our ears, starving our souls of the Bible, getting as as little as we can and making sure it doesn't upset our, our comforts. Or we can be eager to hear, glad to hear, because we know the Bible tells us of our wonderful Saviour. And we know we need him to be encouraged. Is this encouraging? Maybe. Maybe. Let's let's continue to press into that as we think about how it applies to our mission. Uh, that may be an area where we need some encouragement to keep going. Because we get knocked down, will we get up again? Will we get up again? Does this help us to get up again? Look at Paul and Barnabas. 
They are opposed, we're told, abused, we're told. Their message is rejected. They get knocked down, but they get up again. What do they say? Verse 46, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we're going to give up. No, we now turn to the Gentiles. Because rejection is not the end of the road. We get knocked down, but that's not where God's mission in the world ends. Verse 47, Paul refers to Isaiah 49. He says, I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Now what's striking about Paul using that is that when Isaiah wrote it, it was speaking about the servant of the Lord. It was a a prophecy about the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the light to the Gentiles. Christ is the one who brings salvation to the ends of the earth. But as we heard this morning, that's the story of Acts, isn't it? That the risen Lord Jesus ascends to heaven to send down his spirit, to put his empowering presence upon his people, so the church gets sent out into the world as the body of Christ. Christ works from heaven on earth through his people. And this mission, the mission of his people is to be his witnesses to the ends of the earth. Rejection is not the end of the road. Why? Because the mission of the risen and reigning Christ is to make his rightful claim on the nations for his own. The ends of the earth are going to hear. Salvation is going to stretch far and wide despite all the knockbacks on the way because Christ will build his church. Rejection is not the end of the road. Why? Verse 48. Luke puts in his little comment. All who were appointed for eternal life believed. God is sovereign in all of this. Sovereign in salvation. The message goes out, that's the part he's given us to play, to take the message out. And then he sovereignly rules over every gospel interaction to ensure the message of Christ is heard by all who are appointed for eternal life so they might believe and be saved. So we get back up again. Because rejection is not the end of the road. Paul and Barnabas are expelled. And so what do they do? Verse 51, they shake the dust from their feet as a warning. Doesn't mean they've given up on this place. Later on they come back. But shaking the dust says, we're not going to let your rejection of the gospel silence us. You knocked us down, we're going to get up again. And you're not going to keep us down. And the gates of hell may rage against this gospel mission, but it will not and it cannot fail. Because it's God's mission in all the world and he will do it. So when we get knocked down, will we get back up again? And when we try to speak of Jesus and we get nowhere, are we going to try again? We remember rejection is not the end of the road. If we need encouragement, let's not look at ourselves. (laughs) It's not going to help very much, is it? Let's look at our God. And let's look at what our great God has done for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. He has provided a wonderful saviour. Now we're going to sing again. And as we sing, we're going to remember that encouragement will come as we hear the name of our Lord Jesus, the sweet name of our Lord Jesus. Uh, That brings us all the comforts that we need. Let's stand and sing.